Hey, my name is Anthony O'Connell. I'm a man with a high voice and a podcast. We do a feast or pass, rate it one to feast, great dining experiences, and more. Heather Art Anderson is an award-winning author, food writer, and botanist. She literally wrote the book on breakfast. I asked her how it felt being published for the first time, the all-time most game-changing breakfast food. Why is it okay to day drink at brunch? Does having so much food knowledge make it challenging to eat out? Breakfast food can literally be anything edible. Food culture changes over time. Feast or pass, one to feast, and more. When you wrote your book on breakfast, how did it feel when you were published? Like, how exciting was that? It was pretty exciting. It was kind of an interesting situation, though, because it wasn't like I had this brilliant idea to write about the history of breakfast and like pitched it to a publisher and got accepted. It was more that I um, I had done a little bit of writing for an academic publisher a few years prior. And so when the editor announced that they were looking for authors to do the meals series, I was like, oh, you know, like maybe I'll try that. So it, it, was, ex- it was really exciting, but it was um, more like just taking an assignment than it was like having this beautiful idea I have come to life. <laughs> so, I hate to, you know, take away the romance of what it's like to become published, but yeah, I mean, so it was doing the research was really rewarding though. And being able to talk to people about breakfast now, like being considered an expert, that is like really rewarding. And that was something that I feel was, you know, had to be earned. So I appreciate you reaching out actually. Yeah, of course. And full disclosure, I've only read the first two chapters because I just started reading it, but I was so excited. And what I really like about your writing is you use like big words without coming off pretentious. I just really love how it's like, I feel like it's the maximum level of smart without being like condescending. Does that make sense? Yeah. And thank you. I really wanted it to be um, funny and fun to read, but the publisher, they do textbooks. And that was the, like the job was to write basically a textbook for college students. And so I had to use their style guide, like, so no contractions. I couldn't say can't, I'd have to say cannot, which is not my organic way of speaking. And so I know some of it can kind of come off a little stunted and a little bit scholarly, but um, I still tried to make it funny and enjoyable to read and have like cool anecdotes in there. Um, So I'm glad that you're enjoying it. That's really good to hear because the first two chapters are actually like the most dry chapters and then it gets a little bit more interesting. So keep going with it. (laughs) Oh, I'm definitely going to finish it for sure. Is there a certain type of breakfast food that was the most game changing, like kind of like the invention of sliced bread, but like the breakfast version? Oh yeah. Cornflakes, I think probably really could take the prize for being the most game changing because not only did it increase the ability for mothers to work outside the home because they could just pass a box of cereal to their kids. The kids could, you know, learn to make breakfast on their own without any supervision. And yeah, and that was such a boon to uh, the war effort, you know, having women in the workforce when um, men were off fighting. So I would say, and then, you know, it also had an impact on um, just the way marketing, you know, was directed toward children. The first marketing directed toward children was breakfast cereal. And so it's had an impact on so many different facets of our daily lives. Even if you don't eat uh, cornflakes, you know, it's still the the reverberations of how it affects us as a society are still present. Right, of course. And so I think it's interesting. Some people put like a warm milk. Are you familiar with that? Using a warm milk instead of a cold milk? Um, for cream of, or uh, not cream of wheat, but um, uh, shredded wheat, I've I've heard that, but not for cornflakes. I think they would get soggy too fast, but yeah. if that's your cup of tea. I think, you know, maybe back East or like in the Midwest where they like more, you know, I was thinking of like Little House in the Prairie when they would eat like cornbread leftover from the night before with just some more milk on it. And that would be their breakfast. And so I wonder if it's like a 
makes a corn porridge. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's basically the same thing. Now speaking, you mentioned drinking earlier, like a, a night of drinking. You know what I find interesting is if you day drink at brunch, mm-hmm. you're cool and you're hip, everything's fine. But if I'm just like day drinking at home, <laughs> just like eating Cheetos, I have a drinking problem. <laughs> so what, what do you think is the appeal of brunch and what gives it a, a free pass to, to booze it up on a, a daytime thing? Well, brunch is usually eaten with other people, uh, unlike <laughs> just sitting around with your, you know, your PlayStation. Right. <laughs> um, so I think that, that that's one way in which you get the, the like, I'm not an alcoholic <laughs> pass. Um, it's also usually done outside of one's home. But, um, and then there's also usually like some kind of juice or caffeine involved. I don't think people usually just drink beer for, for brunch. Um, I'm sure some people, might, well, I bet Germans do in Germany. So yeah, I would say that if you are worried that you have a drinking problem, then you might have one. But if you're out with friends <laughs> and just having a mimosa or like a Bloody Mary with your brunch, um, I think that that's okay. Far be it for me to judge anyone for their lifestyle choices. Of course. And actually, I'm not even a big drinker. I was just saying that for fun. Yeah. And when I was when I was in high school, I worked in a pharmacy and the pharmacist had the best explanation of what defines an alcoholic. And she said it was someone that drinks more than you. Oh, yeah. Good. <laughs> and I thought that was like really profound because like, you know, maybe if you never drink someone that drinks once a week or twice a week, like that's a problem. Or if you drink on the weekends and someone drinks three days a week, like, I don't know, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think that brunch is a really easy way to slide into bad habits in general, like just sleeping in too late and eating too much in the middle of the day. But, um, you know, you only get one life. You may as well enjoy it. Of course. Absolutely. And so when you go out to eat, what do you say makes a great dining experience? Oh, well, you know, since I have so many friends who are in the the business, when I think of the places that I enjoy the most, I think that having staff who know me, so I I tend, I don't eat out now because of the pandemic, but um, the places I have gone in the past and have always gone are places where I'm kind of a regular and I would always rather invest in my relationships with, um, with different restaurants rather than just trying every new flashy thing that comes out. So when I eat out, I'm usually eating in a place where people know me. Like they're, if they're not my friends, they at least recognize me and are friendly, but not pushy and not aggressive. Like they're trying to upsell me. So I like being treated in a way that's friendly and um, familiar. I don't like places that are too loud. Like if the music and the, some places um, here in Portland, Oregon, where you know, we have a lot of like converted warehouse space that's used in restaurants. And so it's just so echoey and loud that it's really hard to have a conversation with my dining companions. And I don't like that. Uh, I don't like... I'm telling you all the things I don't like instead of the things I do like. <laughs> hey, that's okay. That kind of informs what you do like. I mean, that you want, you know, like a chill, like kind of, you know, friendly, familiar service and you don't want to be too noisy. I get it. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the food goes, I mean, I like it to come out pretty fast. I'm willing to wait for something that takes a little bit more effort and time, but yeah, I don't like too much time to, to sit around between courses because my appetite just goes away and then I can't eat as much. And I feel like I'm getting robbed out of like being able to eat. Right. Um, one thing I also really like is a good like doggy bag policy. So I, I'm, I grew up really poor and I tend to be pretty frugal with food. I mean, I love to enjoy good food, but I will always like take home the bones after my, like, I don't have a dog either. I take them home and I make like soup stock with them. Um, and 
it's or the bread like that's left over on the table i always ask them to box it up and if they just do it or if they're happy to do it that makes me like the place more i went to this um uh, it was a ivorian like african food place and i asked for the fish because it was like a, this big smoky whole fish and i asked the waiter for the bones and he was so happy because nobody had ever asked to take home <laughs> the, the bones before but yeah i made this like really beautiful ramen with the um the stock from that that experience that's incredible. I love that. That's so good. And I know, I know people that won't even take leftovers, even if it's totally edible. Like if they only eat half of it, they'll just leave it there. And I'm like, this is madness. Like, yeah, it's a sin. Um, growing up poor, did you have to learn how to be creative in the kitchen and how to make something delicious on a, on a budget? Yeah. Well, my mom, um, she cooked professionally. She didn't really like to cook, but mostly we just ate like beans or stews, that kind of stuff. And then I took home economics in middle school and to high school just because I was interested. And I was always interested in food and cooking. Um, but then when I was in high school, my big act of like being a teen rebel was I became a vegetarian. <laughs> like, that was my big like, ooh, sticking it to mom and dad. So they're like, fine, you can start buying your own groceries and cooking your own meals now. And I was like, Oof. oh, so but I did have a job. So I had an after school job. So I just started buying my own like little teenage hippie foods and learning how to cook. And it really, you know, it did. It, it was kind of, they weren't doing it to like be awesome parents the teachable moment they like just did not want to deal with my bs <laughs> um, but yeah jokes on them I actually learned how to cook because of it and so <laughs> <laughs> that's cool yeah when i was a kid i didn't know that we were poor but then as an adult i'm like oh my god like we had ramen noodles a lot and not mm -hmm. like fancy $15 bowl ramen, like the right, you know, yeah, top ramen. ramen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening so far. If you're liking it, please subscribe, tell a friend. If you're loving it, please give us a five-star review. And I still eat that to this day. Like, I think it's legitimately good. I church it up. I throw an egg in there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I make my own kimchi. I just make big, um, big jars of it. And so yeah, I throw a little bit of kimchi in my ramen or sometimes I'll put like a square of American cheese on top, nice. like, like a cheesy ramen. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic move. So do you have like a favorite munchies meal? Like if you want to just have something super cheesy and delicious and you're not worried about health, you just want to go ham. Do you have a dish like that? Yeah, it actually is instant ramen. Like instant noodles is always my, like if I'm staying up too late and I'm getting into some trouble, I don't want to, you know, like lay down a little foundation of starch before I go to sleep. <laughs> so I don't wake up with a hangover. <laughs> Smart. That's a pro move. love. Yeah. Good old instant ramen to the rescue. And I do like jazz it up a little bit here and there, but like I said, with the, the kimchi or sometimes I'll put some like, what was one weird, I do like a good egg in there cheese of course <clears throat> a little bit of like sometimes I do like some sesame and a little bit of nori so have you found with all the research you did for your book is it hard for you to enjoy like a simple meal or like knowledge is power even in like a casual environment do you know what I'm saying like I feel like you have so much knowledge they may be like oh they shouldn't have done it this way or that's not how it's supposed to be done or this was this that and the third like are you more critical or how's that work um, I don't I I guess yeah it depends on my mood but um I think that there, if it depends on the price point too. I mean, if some place is trying to pass itself off as really fancy and there's been a lot of like buzz about the chef, I expect things to be done properly, but I expect things to be done properly in all walks of life. Um, and I hate I, people who are like overreaching or posing, especially when it like comes off as it might be kind of disrespectful to the culture that they're cooking from. I don't really like that. Um, and I do get it would never like call them out or like leave a negative review or anything. I just, you know, if I don't like something, I just won't talk about it. I only talk about things that I do like, because I think that it's better to promote 
the stuff that I'm into instead of wasting my own time, taking a dump on somebody yeah. who's working hard that maybe they just didn't nail it for me, but I don't need to like take them down a peg. So yeah, that's sort of my approach. I don't, I do get a little, you know, snobby about misuse of words to describe things. I have a pet peeve of when something says with au jus, because au jus already means with juice. And so like, I get a little, and I, but I would never be like snotty to the staff at the restaurant over it. It makes sense. Like I get triggered when people say ATM machine. I'm like, yeah, exactly. ATM machine. <laughs> the M is already there. <laughs> so I totally get it. This is kind of a, a vague question, I guess, but what do you, what makes a, a meal fancy? Like, do you think it's the, the vibes and the ambiance or do you think it's the food or is it all of it? I think that, yeah, the, the vibes and the ambiance go a long way in um, creating what will feel like a fancy dining experience or a fine dining experience for me. But more importantly than high rent, you know, setting, um, to me, I think that the ingredients, the quality of the ingredients and where they're sourced. And so, you know, especially since I cook with nicer ingredients at home, I buy stuff in huge bulk portions so that I can afford to eat grass-fed beef or bison instead of the more affordable beef. Um, I would rather just eat less beef than eat more affordable beef. So if I'm going to spend good money at a restaurant, I want to make sure that the the quality of the ingredients is high and that it's been cooked with care. And that's everything else is just details as far as I'm concerned. And that doesn't mean that like the Korean noodle joint on the busy street next to the car lot is going to be a less fine dining experience than the really bougie place downtown. You know, I think that it's really about, it's about the amount of care that's been given to the the ingredients. Oh my gosh. You can definitely tell when people care, you can 100% tell. And like, I eat it all the time. Like I have my, my food blog, which really I don't blog. It, it's just Instagram and, and the podcast, but I've been to so many places where it's just like, they went to Gordon food services. I don't know if you guys have that out, out in Portland, but they just go to like a generic grocery store and like, it's all frozen. It's like, I've seen this dumpling at 35 restaurants. Like, so when I get a homemade made in house dumpling, it like blows my mind. Exactly. And you know, I'm not going to pay somebody to heat up something they got from the cash and carry freezer, you know, like I can, right. I can heat up my own food service, whatever, you know, I don't, so, but yeah, I know that for some cooks or home, you know, pe- regular people who don't cook at home, that's something that would never occur to them. And so I hope that they feel like they get what they paid for. Do you have any pro tips for people that cook at home? Cause I, I just started like when the pandemic hit, I started making like upper feast at home content where I make cooking content and people are very critical of that. So if you have any pro tips, I would love to hear it. Um, how are people criticizing you? Like what kind of criticism are you getting? I usually get the most heat I get is for my knife technique. People say, I don't know how to cut anything. My right. argument is if I cut the vegetable and not my finger, that's a win as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah, just you know, get the food into the pot, I guess. Yeah, I do think that if I was giving my my own son like his first little nudge out into the world on his own, I would send him out with a proper skillet, like a good cast iron skillet and a proper knife that has full tang and can be sharpened. Full tang is when the blade, like the metal from the blade goes all the way through the handle. So you can, mm-hmm. it's not like just a blade in the handle, but that is a knife that will last you forever because you can always just get knives sharpened. You don't have to buy a new knife. Those are the two most crucial, I think, 
um, cooking tools. So just making those investments and they don't have to be from like Williams Sonoma or somewhere fancy. I, my cast iron skillet, which I've had since I was like 18 years old, I got it at a thrift store and it's just made of iron. You know, it's, yeah. you can, if you really want to invest in, you know, sanding them down and recurring them, you can, but you don't have to be precious about it. You just need something that can like literally travel on a wagon trail across the Oregon trail. <laughs> like it's right. the reason why they have never gone out of style. It's because they're, you know, so that, that would be my first tip. My second tip would be to don't be afraid to shop at Asian grocery stores, even though they can seem a little outside your comfort zone or a little foreign to you. Um, you can find much better deals on vegetables and meats and um, a whole range of spices and seasonings and sauces that you wouldn't be able to find at Western style grocery stores. And it's so much cheaper. So especially if you're on a budget or if you're just starting out like on your, in your first apartment, cooking from like stuff that you pick up. And also like, if you see something that you've never seen before, like an unusual vegetable, you can just buy it. It might be less than a dollar. So if you want to like experiment, you don't have to waste all your money on a big fancy cut of meat or, you know, something that's more um, high end. You can just start experimenting with things that you can. So if you mess up, it's not that big a deal. That's fair. That's great advice. And so as far as the fancy meat, have you ever had like an A5 Wagyu? Like what's the fanciest beef you've ever had? I have. So I was doing some freelance work for some friends. Well, there I call them my friends. I call them my friends. Um, this company <laughs> in Portland called Nikki USA, and they are a wild game and exotic meats purveyor. And so I have had like beautiful Hawaiian venison and I've had, um, yeah, A5 Wagyu and it's delicious, but you know, um, and then locally raised lamb. I just, I tend to be more of like a pork and lamb person. Well, and most, I do like venison and bison. I eat more bison than beef for sure. So, and um, my favorite meat though is wild boar. That's really, yeah. So that's kind of like for my money, I'd rather have exotic game meats than fancy beef. That's fair. I I think the fanciest are like, I don't know the word for it, but like the most uh, outside of the normal range of meat is probably deer. Like I've had venison. I think I would eat anything though. I think like if it's edible, I think I would literally eat anything. Like you ever watch like Andrew Zimmern? I would totally do all that. <laughs> I get a little bit squeamish around um, eating larvae and I do, I'm not like picky by any stretch of the imagination, but there's this um, certain texture that is a really popular in Japanese food. And the Japanese word for it is neba neba. It's like gooey. So like kind of slimy, like natto, that stretchy, like that kind of like gooey, slimy consistency that's huge in Japan. It's just not my cup of tea. So I just, I, if it was served to me in someone's home, I would eat it, but I would never would seek it out. Yeah. <laughs> I find it so interesting how whatever you're used to, you just like get used to. Like the first time I learned that some people eat pho for breakfast, like that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. And then it kind of, it kind of made me like a little existential where it's like, who cares? Like just eat literally whatever you want. Like breakfast food, lunch food, dinner food, it's all made up. Just eat whatever. Like, what do you think yeah. about that? Oh, for sure. In <laughs> fact, um, noodle soup is probably like if... I was just left to my own devices. And well, before the pandemic, when my husband was working outside the home and my son was at school um, and I was freelancing from home, I would just usually make myself a bowl of noodle soup for, for breakfast at like 10 in the morning. And so that's not unusual. And my son actually 
he's 11, he just eats leftovers for breakfast usually. So he'll eat like a bowl of beans for like a proper pioneer child. Um, yeah, or some leftover pizza. He just, yeah, he loves it. He'll eat a bowl of kimchi with rice sometimes just because we have it in the fridge and he likes it. It's, he's So he's used to eating leftovers. And I know that it's kind of transgressive um, for a lot of people. To, um, to do that, or most people think of it as being kind of a weird thing to do, but it makes sense. And you're clearing the fridge so you can make room for the next day's meal. And yeah, so yeah I don't it. think there's anything weird at all. I fully support it. One thing I've noticed with myself in, with breakfast is if I have to work, I have like a fiber one bar or like a Nutrigrain bar, but if I'm at home and I don't have to work, I'll pig out like a maniac. Like something about work makes me lose my appetite. <laughs> oh. Like literally I always wake up not hungry. It was always the opposite. I would, um, a lot of times I would eat my, whatever I brought for lunch with me, I would be gone by like 10 AM. I don't know what it was. It's like, I just, <laughs> once I'm away from my kitchen, it's like, I have this rationing mindset goes completely out the window. I'm like, I gotta eat everything before, you know, <laughs> in case I starve, I'm not near my food. Right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's... <laughs> So I always like to ask my guests if they have any unpopular food opinions. Do you have any opinions about food that you think are unpopular? Gosh, um, you know, I don't, let me think. I don't think that any of my opinions are that weird. I don't know. You know, I also, maybe I just don't care or it's been so long since I've worried about what people think of my ideas that I it doesn't occur to me to to know or keep track of what's popular versus unpopular. So I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't No, that's okay. <laughs> I think you're just cool as hell. You're like unpopular, popular. What's the difference? I can't even speak to that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that steak is just okay. It's probably like a not that popular opinion. But um, I mean, I have friends, like most of my friends who are like European or Asian, like beef can be like a prestige symbol or it can be uh, who gives a care like you know give me a good old piece of pork or <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's why I think it's it's so important to truly like whatever you like because throughout time you know peasant food becomes fancy rich food and vice versa and it's like it seems like it just ebbs and flows to like just who cares and just do whatever do you think that's a fair statement yeah for sure food trends um through the ages is like a topic that's really interesting to me. And I love even just like the over the last 10 years, I, now it occurs to me that maybe bacon is the thing, like me thinking that bacon doesn't belong on everything. That would be like something that a lot of people might disagree about. Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> um, but that is also, I think the, the whole bacon trend is starting to kind of fade out. So yeah, I think that things come and go popularity. I mean, food trends and diet trends come and go. And it's interesting as somebody who studies social history to just like see how things go in and out of style, how like, you know, a hundred years ago, gluten was considered the most like like fancy, not fancy, but just like really cool spa hopping, like health food. Mm -hmm. And now people think of it as like toxic, yeah. <laughs> like bad for digestion. <laughs> and so whatever you think now, whatever people think now, it's going to be the opposite in a hundred years. So, Of course. Like, I feel like, um, like avocados when I was a kid, I never heard anyone even say the word avocado and now, like, mm -hmm. it's like super popular avocado toast. Like it's beloved. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if this is true. I never fact-checked it. You might even know the answer. You probably do. But I heard like maybe 100 or 200 years ago, prisoners were fed lobster every day. And then they started complaining. They're like, this lobster is ridiculous. Like, is that, do you know about this? 
I think I've read that it was a food for slaves um, because they are just considered like big gross insects of the sea and they were like just the kind of uh, bycatch from fishing, commercial fishing. Um, I have never dug in to see if that's true, to see if that rumor has any like truth to it or merit, but yeah. And of course now we consider it a delicacy. And it is a gross bug. It's delicious, but it, it is basically just a gross bug. It's a big giant scorpion that lives in the ocean. <laughs> How do you feel about like a cheap, quick oatmeal made with water in the microwave? Feast or pass? <laughs> pass. Unless the, you know, you're planning on like rebinding books or like putting up wallpaper. I um, yeah, don't think that that's better for library paste than, than for food. It's kind of like the gruel from the matrix. If you've ever seen that. Movie. Right. Yeah. Gray and gloppy. and. <laughs> Now, are you an oatmeal person if it's done right? Like, say you go to like a fancy brunch or something, would you feast or pass on a good high-end oatmeal? I would never spend money on a bowl of oatmeal at a restaurant. That would just be like the, the weirdest thing in the world to me. Um, I make really good oatmeal. I just buy regular rolled oats. I actually buy 50-pound bags of them because, you know, Bob's Red Mill is here just like outside of Portland. So, yeah, I get the big like food service size bags. I make um, my own granola too. Um, my husband eats yogurt, homemade yogurt and homemade granola every morning. But yeah, so I just, I really like him cooked a little bit al dente. So there's like a little bit of chew to them with like lots of nuts and maybe a little dried fruit. And then I like a little swirl of like cream or milk and then some honey or brown sugar on it. So it's yeah, like really warm and cozy. But I would never make it. I would never like buy it at a restaurant. Yeah, that sounds delightful. So now we do uh, one to feast, but it's kind of like one to five, but we say feast for branding. A croissant, one to feast. Oh, feast for sure. Big feast. Now, do you like it just plain or you, are you want to make it into a sandwich or something fun like that? Oh man, I love a good croissant sandwich. When I was a kid, my mom was a line cook at this like kind of divey jazz club. And um, she would bring me these croissant sandwiches. It was like a turkey and bacon, kind of like a club sandwich, but on a croissant. And I loved them so much. And then when I worked in coffee in college for my like little shift meal was take a fresh croissant and then the giant ones, the ones that are like as big as your head, I'd slice them in half and then toast them on the cut side and then smear them with creamy peanut butter and marmalade and make this like marmalade. And so it would get all gooey and warm. Yeah. Oh, that sounds incredible. You really know how to treat yourself. I love that. <laughs> what about McDonald's breakfast? Any item on there? One to feast. I would say like, I'd give it a three. I'd give it a three. I'd give it a three and a half. I think I don't like hate it. I mean, an egg McMuffin is a classic and it I really don't is. like poo poo fa fast food breakfasts at all. So when you mentioned the, like the, the house made oatmeal and how artisanal and fancy that sounded, I wanted to ask you McDonald's. Cause I feel like sometimes people can be unfairly mean or like look down on fast food. And I personally like everything. I like super fancy. I like super chill. I'll eat it all. I think it's all great. Me too. In fact, I think if you ask my husband, like what the moment was when he knew that I was the lady for him was cause he knew me as like somebody who really loves cooking and cooks kind of like, you know, somewhat fancy ish stuff at home. But um, we were out with some friends and we stopped at 7-Eleven for beer or something. And I got like just a big thing of 7-Eleven nachos with like <laughs> the machine pump like of, of cheese and that weird chili sauce. And the fact that I like that kind of food and I will never pass up like a gas station corn dog. He was like, oh man, she's <laughs> super chill. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I will never be too good to eat, you know, most things. Um, 
I just think that there's like a range, like I prefer Wendy's or Jack in the Box to McDonald's. And so it's not that I don't like McDonald's because it's fast food. I just think that there's like, you know, there's a wide range of fast food quality out there. How do you feel about a hash brown versus like a country potato? Oh yeah. Crispy hash brown puck is a five for sure. Feast. Feast that. Yeah. In fact, I have a whole like sleeve of them from Trader Joe's in my freezer (laughs) right now. I love them because you can put them on a sandwich. That's the thing you can't do with a country potato. Now we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) So Heather, what would you say your ideal breakfast is? Oh man. Okay. So definitely depends on the day and if I've been drinking the night before. (laughs) Um, But so I I do love a good breakfast burrito. Um, But my ideal breakfast, I would have to say is something kind of Swedish like, uh, you know, pancakes or French toast with a sausage. And I like to make sausage meatballs because I just, they're more fun for me. Yeah. And then fried potatoes, crispy with lots of ketchup and then scrambled eggs I think that's probably like my favorite if I go out for like, you know, a big I hoppy kind of thing. I like a good eggs Benny also, but that's more like a fancy occasion breakfast for me. That's fair. And so I always like to ask people, cause I feel like I've asked you everything I wanted to ask you, but if there's something you're chomping at the bit to say that I didn't bring up, now's your time to shine. Uh, I wish I'd come prepared with something really, really cool. But no, I don't. I do think pho is a good breakfast. So, and if you have a chance to to have that as your first meal, I think you should go for it. I definitely will. And so that's the podcast. I just want to say um, your Instagram page is amazing. You have amazing content. Like Thanks. it's like super professional and your brand is like really strong. Like I've only been following you for like a week or something, but I feel like if I see your, your post in my feed, I'm like, oh, that's Heather's post. So I love oh. your content and uh, can't wait to finish your book. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And feel free to email me if you've got any questions or you want to like follow up on anything that you read in the book. There is some pretty funny stuff in the, I got to quote um, from Alan's Psychedelic Breakfast from the Pink Floyd album, Adam Hart Mother. So that was like um, pretty, pretty good, like high moments in my career. (laughs) Yeah, that's epic. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Heather. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. You too. Thank you. Bye.